Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, business continuity, emergency management, crisis management, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Longtime listeners and viewers, you'll know that recently uh, my colleague and I, James Green, we did a live broadcast from the DRJ Fall 2023 conference in Phoenix. And we had a lot of great speakers stop by and share some insights with us during that broadcast. And today, I'm lucky enough to have one of those speakers come and talk to us and do a full episode. Her session was Components of a Resilience Program, and I'd like to welcome to the show, Carol Posh. Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited. It's great to see you again. And I know uh, before we started chatting, you had a great time at DRJ. So did we. Yeah, it was phenomenal. I always love enjoying getting connected with my network again and finding out how I can learn or how I can figure out how to mentor. That's great. Well, I'm glad you could make it today and accepted the invitation to come on. Uh, Now, I know you and I have chatted back and forth and we chatted in Phoenix, but could you take a minute uh, to introduce yourself, what you do and how you got into what you do? You bet. Um, I've been, my career is um, 40 years old now. Um, The career. (laughs) 40 years young. 40 years young, my career. Um, And it started out with... um, COBOL programming. And I was the weird geek that loved to talk to people and figure out what was really broken. How could I make their lives better and easier? Because that's what computers were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So I got pushed out into getting the business analysis and getting what the problem is and converting it into geek speak. Um, that landed me a project management team lead and a little project called Y2K. Um, I I was handed that on February of 1999 and my end date was not going to change. So, uh, we really got going on it. Um, part of that was business continuity disaster recovery, um, and explaining to them that even if there's something wrong with the computers, we restored another site, it's still going to be broken. Um, so it was, it was good. And that's what started my business continuity journey. And so I've been business continuity, disaster recovery, emergency management since 2000. Um, I've been a team of one most, uh, most of the time. The last three years I've been um, blessed with getting uh, one of our call center uh, personnel over onto our team. And I taught her business continuity and disaster recovery. And then our one, I was able to get another gal over from the service desk and she's been hitting the ground running as well. So I've got a team now. Um, so that's been kind of fun. But Well, great. I'm glad uh, that you uh, came back and uh, talked to us today. Um, I'm really interested to hear after 40 years young of a career, you know, your viewpoints of some of these components that you talked about at DRJ. So let's start going down our list because we have 14 things to cover. I don't know if we'll get to all 14, but let's start with the first one on the list and one of the most obvious, executive sponsor. It's your foundation. Don't try and manage from the ground up. It just it just doesn't work. You have to get an executive that understands the value of a program Um, they will also be your guide into the chief 
officer level, your executive level. If you don't have that sponsorship, you're just going to be beating your head up against the wall. Um, you'll need a policy, but the, the executive sponsorship really sets the whole program because you understand what the goals are, what is he or she after, um, what, what kind of concerns that they hear from the executives or the board, um, where's our pain points, our choke, choke points. You've got to interview them and say, what's going on? Don't assume anything. Talk to people. Well, see, we're off script already. One question, and we're already going off script. You mentioned during the introduction you've been a team of one. So how do you go about getting executive sponsorship if you're the only one who really understands a business continuity or resilience and what needs to be done? How do you go about? You know, do you send emails? Do you knock on doors? What do you do? Well, first off, I go to the person that opened up the position. You know, who got the um, approval to get this position? Look at the job description. How far up does it go that we got this this, this description or this position? Um, and then where that stops or where you go, you interview them and say, why do you need this position? Let's put together some goals. Let's figure out what our first um, point is going to be what other kind of can we get a steering committee together you know it's it's interviewing that person um and going up as far in the organization as you could possibly get that's some good advice because i know there are so many who still struggle with trying to find a sponsor and uh, the message that comes across all the time is find a sponsor find a sponsor but what doesn't get said is how. And you just provided a lot of uh, interesting, especially you know, the person that posted the job. Yep. Who's paying your, who's, who's signing the paycheck? Who's, who's keeping yeah. you employed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then approaching them. Why do you need me? Why do you need this? What are you seeing? You know, right. Uh, perfect. I, I'm, I'm really glad you, you gave the, that advice because that's been missing in a lot of conversations lately that I'm hearing. So that's too bad. So let's jump to actually something. We'll go to the second one on the list because you just mentioned it actually a steering committee. Yeah. Um, once you've got your executive sponsor, find out who are their buddies, who's going to help support, who do we need on the steering committee to help identify, okay, here's a broader um, definition of the program. What are we going to do to prioritize? If we find some problems, who do I bring those to? The executive sponsor is, I apologize, um, the, the best thing about being remote. <laughs> we got puppy dogs all over the place. Um, but the... Exterior committee needs to be the person or people that if you're having problems getting traction or if you're seeing that there's a place that we need to focus to get better, the steering committee is that committee that's got that power because they're going to oversee all the people that are you're supposed to be working with to get that back. So if you're having a problem and you escalate it, and it comes back down saying, no, they need to work on this. Okay, document it. And then say, when can I come back and get in so that we can keep moving forward? And you just, and that turns into your status reports and your metrics. It slowly just organically develops. Now, you also talked about roles and responsibilities on the steering committee. How do you go about establishing that? Because if the steering committee is full of decision makers and you know, top level people. Everybody wants to be in charge. <laughs> so how do you go about establishing roles and responsibilities that will work? You bet. Um, well, my executive sponsor happens to be my chief information officer. Oops. So he is the chair of the steering committee. Um, 
but we do, the steering committee does work together. They all know what they're here for. They're representing their part of the organization. So it's not doing any other new roles and responsibilities. They're bringing their expertise of their part of the company to the table. And we make decisions as a company on what's the next step for this program. Where do we accept the risk? Where do we um, mitigate the risk? Um, where do we throw some money at it if it's if it's going to impact the business enough? So as basically, you just need to have your chair, which in most cases is your executive sponsor. And then get the rest of that C-suite at the table so that they're plugged in. I was just going to ask that. Who should be at the table? Because I have been in places, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen it too or heard about it, that every department wants to be represented. But if you've got 40 departments, you can't have a steering committee with 40 people. But if you've got 10 departments in finance represented by one person, okay, that's more doable. So who, how, many, how big should a, a, a good steering committee be? Well, and what you're explaining, I feel are subcomponents of the program. Your C-suite, however big it is, um, I still have a pull into legal. They're CC'd on stuff. Um, it, it, you, you include everybody. And if you use your C-suite, no matter how broad, that's where you need to go. And if they don't know why they're there, do one-on-ones with them, explain to them so that they don't look stupid in front of their colleagues um, and say, this is what I need from you. You need to represent your entire tree of the organization, because if you don't, you're not going to get the benefit of this program. Right. And it's always what's in it for me. Yeah. You've got to find out what's that key spot that you can help them with your program. Now, when you said, and you go down a little bit further, if you've got a large company that you have several departments within finance, you gave an example, I would maybe do that just as a side, but again, as high as you can to explain what's going on. And then you start doing some training and you pick out planners to start working on things. And especially on the IT side, you've got, that's a, that's a tricky road. Um, on the IT side, you've got to get the buy-in as well and training. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's always fun on the IT side when you start talking about resilience and all this and that, Oh, we got backups. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, more than that. It's more than that. <laughs> yeah, I told, and they said, oh, we got HA, you know, we're okay. And I was like, okay. Um, and your plans look like they're just smoking whole. Yes. Carious. <laughs> um, what happens if I go in and unplug a random wire? For some reason, I lost access to the data center. <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's not the scenario. People get so hung up on the scenario. It's a what if, what if this doesn't work? What are you going to do? How many people are going to come at you? What's your recovery time objective? How much, what are they expecting for it to come back up? What's your notification? How are you going to get updates up to the people instead of them banging on your door and ringing your phone off the hook? How are you going to get that done? Yeah. And I think that we- goes back to when this whole resilience business continuity industry started. It was built on fires, floods. So it's kind of been ingrained into people's head, heads over the years that everything is scenario-based. And that... and you know it doesn't matter you know you can have a fire flood earthquake or whatever your facility can still be unavailable so now what do you do right and getting your steering committee to understand that too because i've been on steering committees where all they talk about is do we have a plan for a fire do we have a plan for a flood you know and it's like how many plans do you guys need (laughs) and that's what i explained to him i was like i don't want to have to go to this large shelf 
and say, oh, yeah, we're having a fire. I need to pull that one down. Yeah. Oh, we're having a flood. I need to pull that one down. It doesn't matter. What are you going to do if you lose a particular application? What are you going to do if you lose a third-party vendor? What about key resources? Primary sites? Um, just look at the things that make your department work. What are your responses and how are you going to handle it if it doesn't work? Yeah. I don't care why it's not working. We'll figure that out later. You've done your notifications. Now, what are you going to do? Sitting and twiddling your thumbs is not the answer. <laughs> or trying to figure it out then is not the answer either. <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking with Carol Posh today about components of your resilience program. And we will be right back. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. How do you cultivate braver, more daring leaders? And how do you embed the value of courage in your culture? How do you take charge of your life and achieve your goals and bring about positive changes that propel you forward? On The Leader's Edge, join your hosts, Steve and Ernie, as they bring a mix of insights in personal and leadership growth that shapes your culture and the culture around you. Lean in and learn intentionally how to accelerate into your next best life. Tune into The Leader's Edge with Ernalita DeCumos and Steve Steele, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program to discover exactly what to consider with your money now in light of the current economic and investing environment. Host Dennis Tubergen, a four-time best-selling author and consultant to the financial industry, analyzes the current investing climate and interviews some of the brightest minds on the planet in the fields of investing, economics, and finance. Weekly episodes of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program available at 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Today, we are talking with Carol Posh about components of your resilience program. Carol, great first segment. I really enjoyed uh, the comments you had about the steering committee and finding a sponsor. Um, some definite uh, different perspectives and new perspectives there that I don't think some people are actually communicating, um, you know, the how, which was uh, really appreciated. Thank you. Now, let's start with two really fun ones. And I'm sure, you know, Let see what guess. you want to say. <laughs> you know, and if I get emails for it, that's fine. I don't, I'm not worried about it at all. I'll let you decide which one you want to talk about first, but a risk assessment and a business impact assessment, a BIA. Boy, those are tough too, which one I want to pick. Um, <laughs> let's just go ahead and flip a coin. Let's do the BIA. A business impact analysis, it's not a one size fits all. Um, a lot of things with this business continuity stuff, there's newbies or even seasoned professionals. They come to the table and they're like, how do you do this? How do you do that? Well, you have to look at what your company does. First, what has worked in the past? What hasn't? Where have they failed? Do they have a business impact analysis that they like? Is there a palette that they want to do it? Or do they have their priorities? A business impact analysis is a way to prioritize to get stuff out the door again. So if we do have a smoking hole, what do we focus on first? we weren't able to build the company in one day. We're not going to be able to do it again. 
Okay. We're never going to be able to do it. So we've got to pick on something first. Obviously, you've got to get your uh, foundational um, aspects out. And your steering committee can help you understand and identify where where are we going to have our name in the paper if this doesn't happen. Um, so sometimes it's just critical functions. You know, I want to be able to answer the phone at our call center. They may not be able to do something, but at least we've got a human that's speaking to them about what's going on and to calm them down. Um, I want to be able to splash something to my website. And I got a little off a topic there, but the business impact analysis, it's not a one size fits all. You know, somebody a little bit mature, more mature in their program. Um, we happen to have a, what I call a 28 question BIA. There's seven rows and four columns. Uh, the top one is time dependency. And then the seven are different areas of impact, finance, informational, staffing, customer, the whole compliance. Where are we going to get hit for this particular um, process? What's going to impact the company? If I, and mail may, for example, there's not a lot of physical mail that gets processed anymore, but that may not be the most important for my company. Oh, but mail is important for my company. How do you make those distinctions? That's what a BIA is. I also, uh, and I'm seeing it happen right now. I know a company doing this. They're trying to ask the same questions they ask a business unit of finance, as an example, of IT units. And IT units are just kind of going, what? <laughs> you know, how how can we answer these questions? We, you want us to give a number based on this, and we don't even track that. So, just want right. us to pull a number out of the air. <laughs> yeah. Now you you've got to treat everybody where they're at. Find out what they do and where they come from. Luckily, with my IT background, I know the geek heads. We're the, they are in a mode of getting stuff installed, fixing things that are going nuts. It's all about service, whether they know it or accept it or not, they don't understand what their processes are to get their job done. They can't separate the two. It just, it just doesn't happen in their world. So to look at this, I think you're going after two different things when you talk with your IT, our IT people. How have we architected this application to be functional if something goes wrong? Is it a high availability HA? Is it a cloud vendor that we've got um, backup and they'll flip to other data centers um, all over the place? What have we architected? That's your recovery time objective. Start there. Don't get into business continuity for them because all they hear is rapid response, incident management. They they can't they can't separate what they do from how they do it. it it's it just it doesn't compute to them. So having a business continuity for them, it's more of a response plan. What, you know, when do we trigger the executive leadership team? When do, we, and that's all part of the emergency operations center. Look at that in their communication and show them how structuring that as it escalates so that you can actually do this stuff and somebody else is communicating that's a better aspect when you go to your IT. Yeah, I one of the questions being asked of the IT group I know is, well, what's the financial impact if um, email is down? And literally everyone in IT is, how would we know? We don't even track that. We, we track availability. Right, right. You know, they so track availability. Again, it comes back to know your audience. Yeah. They don't have financial data. Exactly. What you do for email, you bring it up. What processes, what part of your organization gets 
revenue stream through your email? Do you have an alternate way for that to come into the business? Is there a reputational aspect when email is down? Um, and get it very objective instead of subjective because everybody wants to do hair on fire. My stuff needs to come up first. <laughs> yeah, that never happens. No, 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 no. <laughs> right. So, and I'll, and, you know, be prepared for those and say, you know what? You're right. Your stuff is very important. Let me tell the CIO he can't have his stuff until we get your stuff done. Oh, um <laughs> oh <laughs> maybe i don't need it that fast <laughs> you know forget about all the charts and stuff use common sense and that's what i was doing in the workshop at drj common sense don't make this a a beast to try and and tame um you define it for your company Get your terminology so that everybody's talking the same in your company. Use the glossaries that are out there for DRJ, um, DRII, the BCI. We've got plenty of resources out there for glossaries to start with. Um, but always look back because you're delivering a service for your company. You can't make them fit into a box that they have no business being in. Yeah. Um, risk assessments are multiple ways that you can look at those. Um, the way I brought up a risk assessment, um, I did a risk assessment against the business continuity program. Okay. What are the risks that are going to impact the company and how have we mitigated it? And you put it through your risk um, spreadsheet. Go to your risk department. What do you guys have for a worksheet on how everybody's doing their risk assessments? I want to use that. Show me how to do it. You don't have to create anything. Somebody else has done that. Um, all you have to do is put the guts in. So example, earthquake. Okay. That's going to impact primary um, sites. It could impact my data center. It could in, you know, communication. You look at what are the things that could be done by this. Um, right now with everybody working from home, it's not even everything that's under our control. There's got to be some policies in place that if you've got somebody working from home, what if their internet provider shuts down? What are the expectations for them to come into the office um, to keep trying? Are there alternate ways that we can provide them some access? What are the risks on that? Um, I think that's something that the companies need to look at as well as people are going remote and staying hybrid. Um, but it's what kind of man-made cybersecurity you go through and you say, okay, as a and it's hard <laughs> stay high level on what you're doing for your company and then figure out, okay, I'm doing pretty good. Oh, I need to do something a little bit better. So this is what my game plan is going to be for next year so that I can repeat the risk assessment and see how I'm getting better. Now, what about approaching, because you already mentioned talking to the risk group. So enterprise risk management, and I don't know if you've run into the case where you see what's on their risk register and sometimes it's different than the risk assessment you just went through. They're tracking something different. It's like, well, why aren't we contributing to that? Why aren't we looking at that register as, as well to make sure we're addressing, you know, the things that are ending up in front of the board of directors as an example. Sit down with the people that are doing that, ask them the questions you just asked. They're people, they bleed red, you know, just ask to sit at the table and say, I want to understand the risk table that you've put together. And so that we can be in alignment and support one another. How can I help you? See how you turn that around? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've done that before. And um, I found out, you know, I, all these risks you have on your risk register, 
there's some that I have nothing to do with. There's nothing I do is going to address them, but half of them I contribute to to these. And they just kind of looked at me and went, you do? <laughs> like disaster recovery, business continuity, you do? Really? How? They And it was totally new to them. And they just, wow, we, you know, there's all this stuff we didn't know existed. And I guess that's you know, doing that kind of thing, using these risk assessments and approaching these risk groups helps break down silos. Because, mm-hmm. for example, my vendor management people, um, when I went to them to get their business continuity, I, I, you learn what that company or that part of the company does. If, you, if you're not learning about that part of the company, you're not doing your business continuity program correctly because then that's the place where you discover as the expert, where are my vulnerabilities? And you can find it and then go into more questions. Well, how are we mitigating that? Oh, you get the vendor information in? Well, these guys are getting vendor information. Why aren't we getting it from the same? And you start to become yet another value to the company, another ROI, return on investment, is that you're finding duplications of effort. Data is cheap nowadays, (laughs) really. (laughs) And we sometimes save data for the sake of saving data instead of figuring out how to be wise and have a single point of or uh, what do I want to say? System of truth. There it is. A single system of truth where that piece of data recovery time objective is owned by this system in this part of the organization. Nobody else can change that value in another system that it gets sent to. It's always being changed over here. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the records. It can be fields on the records. Mm -hmm that are owned by other systems. And we need to work together in order to make these computers do the best for us instead of wasting time. Yeah, I've asked that question uh, over the years as well. Well, people can talk and talk. Yeah, we do this, we do that. And it's like, so which one is the source of truth? If I need the right answer, who do I go to? Or what do I access? If you're all doing the same thing, which one? is the right answer. You know, and sometimes you'll get, well, we're, we all have the right answer. Is it well, you can't because you're, you're going to have conflicts. So which one is the right one? <laughs> Just simple names of an application. I started there and the business units called it one thing. Enterprise architecture called it another. IT called it another. And the service desk called it yet another one. <laughs> and I'm like, how are all of you guys talking? <laughs> you're all saying something. Well, you're all referencing the same thing, but you're saying something different. So uh, doesn't this get confusing? Do we have four apps or one? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yep. Yep. Well, believe it or not, we've already come to the end of our second segment. Time's yep. just flying. Today, we are talking with Carol Posh about components of your resilience program, and we will be right back. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Challenges in the workplace and within teams are only increasing as companies struggle to transition to a post-COVID-19 remote work situation. 
These unstable times have stretched companies and their leaders beyond their capacity, and they do not know how to maintain a balance of authority, empathy, compassion, and assertiveness toward their coworkers, much less continue their own career trajectory. Leading with Intention with Monique Dagneau offers support, encouragement, and tools to help corporate leaders address their personal shortcomings and emerge from these unprecedented times as well-rounded, self-assured leaders. Leading with Intention, Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Today we are talking with Carol Posh about components of your resilience program. Carol, lots of great information there in the first and second segments. Let's start off and see where this one takes us. Testing and exercising. What do you have to say about that? Just like when you're putting your plans and your playbooks together, common sense. Don't be documenting for the sake of documenting. Um, I refer to some business continuity plans that have a thud factor. How much noise does it make when you throw the three ring binder on the table in front of the auditors <laughs> to discourage them from opening up the binder? You want something executable. You're looking for those sticky notes. Who's, who's got cheat sheets put together? Um, but what you'll want to do is, yeah, set a scenario up, but don't focus so much on the actual scenario. Figure out first what you want to ask. And it's basically asking in greater detail what you just asked them before. So, for example, um, a primary site. So let's do the earthquake thing. And you can say how much damage there's been or there has been. And you work in with the information. How do you communicate with people? And you want to know when do they actually bring the plan out? Mm-hmm. When do they actually bring the plan out? Or are they shooting from the hip? I think some people um, immediately hear something, bring out the plan, and it's the thud factor. You know, the big binder sometimes comes out. It's like, well, what do we do? You know, it's like, you know we've gone through tests and exercises, you know, walkthroughs or simulations or whatever the case may be. Is the first thing you ever do is grab a binder? And it's, it is the training. For example, one of my shining stars on the business side, um, she got it. Once I started interviewing her and I explained what a business continuity plan was and why she needed it, she was like, oh. And she started using it as her onboarding document. Here's what we do. This is the criticality of it. This is what we do when it doesn't work. Um, And if you don't bring out the plan, that's fine. But I'm going to take some notes and make sure it is in your plan. Are you training for it? It's not just all about my training that I put together. Once I talk with my plan owners, I want them to be able to do it. Also, when you're executing your exercise Find out who's doing all the talking. (laughs) Have it in your plan to say, you have a family emergency, unfortunately. You need to get on a plane now. Take them out of the conversation. You might be able to know who that person will be. They come to the table for the exercise. They don't know they're not going to play. And you set it up and you say, oh, by the way, Bob, you've taken PTO. You're on a cruise ship in the Mediterranean. You can sit over there. (laughs) Now, something's happened. You don't have access to Bob. What are we going to do? 
Um, you can do the same thing on the IT side as well. Um, we do a transition. So it's, it's documentation. A lot of them are like, well, I don't want to put a playbook together. I don't want to put a knowledge-based article. That's what ServiceNow calls them. That's not a plug. Um, but when you've got your documentation, geeks don't like to document. Oh, no, they hate it. <laughs> until they understand why they're doing it. What's in it for me? Okay, guys and gals, you've just stepped into a new position. You're supposed to take over A, B, and C. You're new. How are they constructed and architected in this environment? Which vendor is used? What kind of a contract? How is this integrated and what business units are supported by it? What do we do um, if something goes bad? Who's going to handle the um, communications and handling the incident? I just go off. All of those questions, they can be in different plans, but we need to test for them. And again, if Bob is your key person or Wendy, put them on a cruise ship for the exercise. I was starting that when the guys, another IT thing, I go, who do you think the audience is of this documentation? And I usually get deer in the headlights looks. I was like, you're trying to train the service desk to answer the question, hey, this doesn't work. Calls are coming in like crazy. I need to go find the documentation step-by-step step to get this fixed. Or do you want to have your name and phone number in the document and they wake you up at two o'clock in the morning? Every night. <laughs> and I said, so do I have your attention now? And they say, yes. I said, your audience is a new person in your position, you coming to that position and being able to transition and train the service desk on how to do something. In fact, when we do a test of a failover and a fail back, if that's appropriate for your application, the fail over is done by the authors of the plan. We run on that for at least a week. Live production, we run on that for a week. Then my service desk or help desk, they come in and they have to fail it back. They're the fingers on the keyboard and they're looking through it. Hey, hold it, we're missing a screenshot here. And that's the transition that they accept the documentation. I'm given power to the service desk that they've never been recognized as having. Mm -hmm. So how do you coordinate some of these things? Because with testing, um, and you mentioned cutovers and live production, that a lot of times organizations, and I've been working at some, they will not do anything that touches production. So they, they end up uh, planning the test rather than testing the plan. Yes. Um, at first, I've been in companies that they, like, for example, they had a third party contract. I'm getting better at not mentioning names and to call them on the phone. And then they've got the either the business unit call center um, space that you can go ahead and get into or you've got um, a data center space that either has equipment or we're going to get equipment into it. Yes, testing with those situations is expensive, but we've got to do it. And yes, we plan to fail over. Um, when I see some of that and I see what they're preparing, I look at it and I say, if this goes down without notice, is this what we're going to do? Oh, no, then we'll do this. Thank you. I will put a note on this that if it's a controlled failover, which can still happen in a live event, mm -hmm. okay, stuff is running and you could still do a planned failover in a live event um, or if something dropped um, and you just become more and more mature. If there is not an appetite 
to actually do that in production, then that's a, a window of opportunity. I look at it and say, if you don't want to dink with production, how solid is production? If you don't want to dink with it and make sure it's going to work, are we already running on bailing wire and duct tape? True. Yeah. Do we start, should we start out small when we're testing and exercising oh, yes. and then, oh, yeah. you know, take things from there? Mm -hmm. What are your suggestions there? If, uh, if an organization listening right now has never done any real testing, where should they start? Go ahead and test in your test development. Go ahead, take it down. Restore from your backups. Um, see once if you could run in your test environment. There's no problem with starting there. Don't take the data center down for your first exercise. <laughs> <laughs> you want a guaranteed line on the front page of the news? We got you covered on that one. Um, ease into it. And look at your standard operating procedures on how you handle applications, the documentation, the turnover and, and education of the service desk to help with all of that. Make sure that's solid and then start working on an application in the development. Now we're going to use that application again. Then let's get risky and actually do it in production over a weekend that we're not going to cause any problems, maybe inside of a maintenance window or something like that. <laughs> and then, and then we're going to fail back because we're not sure if we got everything covered. We're going to put everything back in place. Then as you get confident, go ahead, fail over, but run production for a while on the failover. That will show you if you've got all the connections documented. Make sure you involve your users. They're the validation. IT is not validation. No, Does the data looks good. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they can validate that all the pretty green lights are on for all the servers and everything. Right. And that's about it. Right. You've got to get your users. And that's an opportunity for them to see what's going on as well. Mm hmm Involve them. Don't just call them and say, could you check the data? Go ahead and involve them in the planning meetings. Get them, you know, if it gets too technical, excuse them. But show them a little bit of what is happening on their side so that you get to start sharing this, this um, experience. It's another thing that helps break down the silos. Yeah. 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 We can tell you everything is up and running. That's fine. Now, users, you know, in finance or wherever, come in. Are you seeing what you expect to see? Do you still have the permissions you expect to have? Can you submit a file or mm -hmm. extract data or whatever the case may be? You know? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So okay. we have we have four minutes left. And I know there are a couple of things you wanted to bring forward. So you know, uh, for, for, I guess, uh, like a Jerry Springer final thoughts, you know, so, yeah. do you Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share about, uh, resilience programs? Definitely. Um, don't look for a piece of software to define your program. It's a tool. When you want to go and do if you've got something that's broken in your house, plumbing, electrical, you don't just use a tool because it's there. You have to find the right tool for the job. Define your program for your company first. Take baby steps to get there. Don't go out and get the Ferrari or Lamborghini of tools because it's gonna be out of the box, it'll be fine. Don't fall for the used car salesman pitches, guys. Find what works for your company and then look at, for example, tools. Also realize the size of the company. If you're a big hotel chain and you're around the world and you monitor tsunamis and earthquakes and you've got partnerships with first responders to be able to come into your, your conference rooms to get a break 
from uh, first response. Um, that's going to look a lot different than a company that does crop insurance adjusting. Um, business continuity, there's not a tool that fits just everybody. Don't overcomplicate things. Common sense. Do what you can do right now and build upon it. If you try and do everything at once, it's not going to work. Yeah, I think some people look at applications and some of the tools out there as the answer to everything. Oh, we plugged it yeah. in. Now we're okay. Yeah, no. we have XYZ applications, so we're, we're fine now. But no, <laughs> that's not right. Oh, it's like, um, let's see. Okay, yeah, a computer. You buy a computer um, offline at the store, what have you, and you bring it into your house. Is the computer for your teenager to play online? Is the computer for you to work from home? Is the computer just for financing or, you know, just general emails and stuff? Or do you have to do engineering, designing documents and diagrams on a high-powered computer? Yeah. You need the right tool for the job. If you don't know what your job is, how do you expect to buy the right tool? Yeah, agreed. On that note, we've come to the end of the show. Carol, thank you so much for sharing so uh, many great insights and talking about resilience programs. I know there's still lots for us to talk about, so we'll probably have you back for a third uh, uh, appearance at some point too. Always available for you, Alex. I really appreciate this. Great. Well, thank you for agreeing to uh, join us today and share all your insights. It's greatly appreciated. And everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.